What's going on guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime with Jen and Jules. It is Jules here. Before we get started, make sure you give us five stars wherever you're listening. And if you have not already, make sure you check out the Patreon. At the $5 level, you do get two bonus episodes a month. Those are ad-free. At the $7 level, you get the two bonus episodes plus all of our regular feed without ads. And at the $12 level, you get all of those things, plus you get to not only listen to me tell the story, you get to watch me tell the story. Today we will be covering Unsolved Mysteries. It is a new series. We have never covered any case that was not already solved on this podcast. So I look forward to having a conversation throughout the episode about what I think happened. And then maybe you guys can comment and let me know what you guys think. This series is covered on Netflix and it's going to be season one, episode one. The episode is called Mystery on the Rooftop. So what are your thoughts, Ray? Uh, I'm really excited. And I can't wait to see Allison come back out. We were both so happy. My wedding in Puerto Rico was just magical. We got married in a town called Isabella and rose right on the beach. One of the things my brother got from our parents, Puerto Rico, and the respect and the love that we have for Puerto Rico, he made it a point to honor that. I want to welcome you here today. This beautiful fairy tale wedding was just the beginning. No matter what, Allison, I love you forever. That was probably one of the happiest times as, as the Riveras, you know, that we we had as a family. And I present to you Ray and Allison Rivera. suicide it was like he ran out of the house like he was late for something who sits there and says oh you know what 6 30 time to jump off a big roof i kept saying there is something bigger there's something more going on but i know that he didn't kill himself my hope is that there is somebody that's out there that knows the truth Okay, so that preview shows you a man named Ray Rivera getting married to his wife, Allison. He's happy, he just got married, nothing crazy, and then it jumps to his wife in an interview in the documentary saying, I don't know why he would just disappear. I don't think it just becomes 6.30 and you want to jump off a roof. Okay, definitely we need to add some context to that, so we're going to get into that. They start interviewing his family and they get a de- like details on what he's like. So he's six foot five, about 260 pounds. He used to play water polo and he has, according to his brother, a beautiful smile. He was a family man that was everything for him. He had a great sense of humor and his family lived in Puerto Rico for the most part. So they weren't, they were really close, but physically they lived far from each other. He wanted to be a writer for screenplay and him and Allison weren't making that much money because as a writer it's not that it's more of a dream but it is difficult to be a screenplay writer and they just needed more money 
So he turned to his friend in Baltimore named Porter Stansberry. Porter is somebody that he was friends with in high school. They both played water polo. They were really close. They met when Ray was just 15. And Porter owned a company that wrote financial newsletters called Stansberry Associates. He actually wanted Ray to write for him, even though he wasn't much of a finance or stock writer. So I want to say it, it sounds like this is more of Ray trying to help his friend and his friend trying to help him because it seems that this isn't Ray's end goal. I mean, obviously, a screenplay writer is, isn't going to want to be working in finance, talking about the stock market. But this is a stepping stone, so he took it. Him and his wife, Allison, moved to Baltimore for this job. They made a pact that they would live there for 24 months, and if there was no growth or if they didn't like it, then they would move back. They moved in December of 2004 over to the area. They found a good home, a good church, a community, and they were overall happy. And then on May 16, 2006, Allison had a business trip, so she needed to leave early in the morning. Ray made her breakfast, he took all her luggage to her car, helped her get in, kissed her goodbye, and that was that. Nothing crazy. She finished her day at around 6 or 6.30 p.m., and she checked into a hotel nearby the business and called him to check in. It went straight to voicemail. That's a little weird. You know, her husband should want to know that his wife is okay, but eh, maybe we're thinking too much about it. They had a house guest named Claudia. She was a colleague. I'm not sure if she was a colleague to the wife or to the husband or if she was like a friend. I'm not sure. Um, but she was a witness to what had happened that night and she heard a phone call coming from the room, his room, at that same time, a little bit probably before the wife called him, around 6.30, and he answered it, and after he answered the phone, he left in a hurry. Claudia goes to check the house later on and says, yeah, the lights are on still, but he's, he's not here. So she calls Allison the next morning at around 5.30 in the morning saying, hey, he's still not home. So now Allison is beyond worried. As a husband and wife, they're very close it seems, and they're very happy together, so it, this definitely is out of the ordinary. She heads home immediately, and she's calling everyone. She calls his mom, who's in Puerto Rico, and she says, I can't find him anywhere. She calls Ray's brother, Angel, and he was living in Orlando, but he flew to Baltimore right away, and they noticed that his car is not there. On top of that, there was a soda can left open in the kitchen, there was chips, and also his Invisalign, so it seems like maybe he was getting comfortable, like... He was getting home and he was getting ready to go to bed, possibly, and then of course he gets that phone call. So every single light was on, like I mentioned before, his office light, his bedroom light, which further proves that it was in a rush. At around 7pm, Angel, the brother, landed and his whole family had flew in by the next day. And mind you, they're coming from Puerto Rico, so everybody's like freaking out, this is really, really not like him. They begin searching, they look for the license plate. They call hospitals, they look for the car, they can't find anything. And even Porter, his friend from Stansbury Associates, puts up a reward and they contact the media. They start tracking his credit card movement and there's none, none since he disappeared. And his cell phone was dead. So this, he just, he really just disappeared. He is 32 years old. He has no sign of being unhappy, of being depressed. As far as anybody hating him, or as far as him hating himself, there's no clear sign of that. Now he's been missing for six days, and Allison's mom and dad wanted to look for his car. 
So they go by themselves and they look in parking lots near Stansbury Associates, his work. And the mom says, let's pull into here. She says to the dad, that's that's his car. It's like a random parking lot kind of by Stansbury Associates, but it's not in that parking lot. But it is confirmed that it is his car. And it was in parking spot number seven. So they go up to the car and they see that there's a ticket on the car. They go to the attendant and the attendant said that car had been parked there since the day he went missing. So the car was parked there and then the next day it was still parked there. That's when the attendant issued the ticket. They start looking around to figure out what all of these buildings around are. Like I said before, it's in the area where his job is. It's also in a lot near the Belvedere Hotel. To them, it's starting to look like foul play. Because if you were to run away, let's say he was overwhelmed and he wanted to run away from his family and start a new life, he'd take his car, he'd take his phone, he'd take his credit card. At the very least, he would take his car. Now they're thinking something bad happened to him. They started searching in that area by his car. Ray's co-workers did go to the top of the parking garage that was next to the hotel and they looked around. They looked over the edge of that parking garage and they see another building like adjacent to but lower than and they see a hole in that building lower than them. It was probably like like 11 stories down but next to it. And right by that hole, they saw flip-flops. That's weird. So of course they have to go to that hole. When they showed this hole in the documentary, it was very, like it looked like somebody threw a refrigerator or an air conditioning unit over the edge and landed. Like the hole was relatively small. You can tell it took force to get the hole to open up. So they have to figure out where that hole is exactly in the Belvedere Hotel so they can pinpoint which room they need to go into to figure out whatever it was that went in. They figure out it was in an old racquetball club in that hotel. Detectives go in there and instantly there is a smell. They look over to their left and right in that corner, underneath that hole, slumped, like broken, is Ray. He's, I mean, he's dead, obviously. And he had gone through the ceiling, there was blood all over the wall, One of the detectives said that now, when he walks into any room, he, like, he gets flashbacks from that. Because that's how brutal the body looked. So officers called the family, letting them know he had moved on, he had passed. The decomposition would have eliminated a ton of evidence in the eight days it took to find his body from the disappearance. The body had multiple rib fractures, punctured lungs, lacerations that were nine inches deep, damage to the skull, and protrusion of bone so like his bone was popping out of his um, skin. They noticed that the hole was clean and not very large. So he must have gone through it vertically. Detectives say like the hole's too small, it doesn't make sense. To me it kind of does because if he would have landed head first, I know this is like super gruesome guys, but because of the damage he went through, I think that it makes sense that he had gone through this hole. Whether or not he jumped into the hole or he was pushed i don't know we'll get into that later so the big question is where did he come from because there's multiple buildings around this hole really quick you guys i interrupt this program to introduce you to today's sponsor it is consuming crimes very first sponsor and that is audible 
Audible.com, which is an Amazon-owned company. They are the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, you get one free credit, and with our code, Consuming Crime, you can get one month free and one free audiobook. I actually use Audible myself. I don't really have time to sit down and read a book. I'm constantly moving around and, you know, doing school, work, the podcast, things like that. Right now, I am currently reading a book written by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I love a lot of his works, and the one I'm reading right now is called The Mastery of Self. I am obsessed with self-development, self-growth, and this book really teaches you about knowing who you are, knowing, you know, what you have to offer the world, and just knowing that, you know, no one's better than anyone ever, and I think it's really good to just be self-aware. With that being said, again, go on and head over to audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime and get your free audiobook on us completely. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime. Now, back to the story. The first theory is he came from the top roof of where the race co-workers were standing, which is, by the way, a little suspicious that his co-workers went to the exact spot that that theory came from where he was thrown from like i said it was 11 stories and the upper roof was also 45 feet in length from the hole so high he was like 11 stories high from the hole and he would have had to have leapt 45 feet from that top building to where the hole was made that doesn't seem plausible because he was also wearing flip-flops they mention here that ray was also afraid of heights i'm not sure if he, was su- if he was suicidal or if he was thrown off, I don't think the heights thing would be a huge factor. The second theory is that he leapt from a parking garage adjacent to the hole. The problem with this theory, though, instantly, when I saw the image, is it's 20 feet high, 20 feet long. So he would have had to have leapt 20 feet, which makes sense, but then fallen 20 feet. And there's no way he would sustain tho- like that extent of those injuries and even made a hole if he were to jump 20 feet only. And then another theory is he came off from the 11th floor of another building next door. Oh, I'm sorry, from the Belvedere Hotel, which is like, so he's in the hotel? Wait, there's a hole in a part of the hotel, but he jumped from another part of the hotel, from a ledge. To get to that ledge, you would have had to pass somebody's office or somebody's room and somebody would have seen him and the windows only opened halfway they didn't they don't mention if they asked if he had even checked into the hotel because what if he didn't check in i doubt he did because i think they would have mentioned it i think the most plausible is the 45 feet the initial theory where he fell 11 stories and he somehow launched his himself 45 feet just from what i'm knowing so far i think somebody pushed him I think somebody threw him, actually. That's the only way it kind of makes sense to me. They don't seem to talk about this any further, and it just remains a mystery on where he leapt from or was pushed from. They found his phone around the hole on the rooftop. It was still working, and there was no crack on it. They also found his eyeglasses by that same area, and there, you guys, there was not a scratch on these eyeglasses. And his flip-flops were also pretty intact, considering he flew. And if, I feel like, too, if somebody 
flew that high with flip-flops wouldn't one fall off at least and go somewhere else like it just you guys it just looks so fishy he had a money clip that his wife had given to him that had their like a initials on it too and that was missing he carried it everywhere he went it had his money his id everything that wallet would have and that was missing they couldn't find that anywhere Additionally, there was no video footage of him anywhere in the hotel, but where that rooftop was from that first theory, the camera wasn't working. But the documentary does not tell you if the cameras maybe weren't working that night or if they just aren't on, period. Officers conclude that this was a suicide, 100%. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you guys disagree, let me know. Maybe I'm paranoid, maybe I'm going crazy, but I don't think this guy committed suicide. I don't. They say that typically somebody who commits suicide, there are markers, there are signs. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. I think somebody can be pretending to be happy and then still do it and catch everybody by surprise, but that's just my thought. The medical examiner says we will not close this case. This part was weird. They said the way his shins were broken was inconsistent with suicide. How? How? I don't understand. Can't you just break? You're either like your shins are broken or they're not. I don't get this. I'm not going to get into this. It sounds ridiculous. Regardless, the medical examiner leaves the case undetermined, which means the case is open. It doesn't matter if officers are saying it was a suicide. Case closed. They can't close a case if the examiner uses the word undetermined. They just can't. At that, that point, they're just giving up. Allison and the family find a note taped behind the computer. It was a regular sized note, but the text was really small, so it was a lot. It didn't make a lot of sense. I was gonna play a clip for you guys, but I, I think you might just be as lost as I was. It almost seems like he's making lists in this note. He's listing off movies that he likes. He's listing off significant people in his life. He's not really saying anything of meaning, and it seems really cryptic. Allison says he was obsessed with secret societies, and I'm assuming that this is written in code, because like I said, there's no real message. It's just almost like him making a list of movies, making a list of people he knows, and then saying... At the very end, he says something along the lines of, Congratulations, I hope you enjoyed playing. It was really weird. I don't know how to feel about it. They send this note to the FBI, and the FBI comes back and says that the note was definitely unusual, but they don't see any suicidal intent behind it. Which, I'm gonna have to agree. Back to the day he disappeared. Like I said, he was in a hurry. He had taken a phone call. It was brief and concluded with a surprise, oh, sound according to Claudia, the woman that was living with them. They traced that call. This is this is where, like, they kind of, you could tell the documentary was holding out on information in the beginning, because now it's starting to kind of unravel a little bit. They traced this phone call back to Stansbury Associates, but they could not track the extension, which means the last person he talked to, most likely, was someone that worked at his job with his best friend, by the way, his best friend owns his company, quote-unquote, best friend. But like I said, they can't track the extension, so they don't know who the hell he talked to. When Ray's body was found, a detective did go to his company, 
and started asking around. And then the company that same day placed a gag order, which means no employee could legally talk to anybody. And within hours of the body being found, they lawyered up. Even Porter wouldn't talk, which is weird because if I remember correctly, earlier in the episode, he was the one that placed the reward on if you find him, we'll give you this. But then again, if you had something to do with his death, you would do that. You would say, oh, what can I do to help? Here's a reward if somebody finds him. Because you're a millionaire. What do you care about giving away a reward to which you wouldn't even have to give it away because he's dead? It's his best friend. Why wouldn't he talk? Especially if whoever he talked to at Stansbury Associates said, oh, I actually called him and he said he was headed to the lake. Why not say that? He nothing about a lake. I just threw that in there. So let's get into the why. If if it was Porter or his company or anything, why? Ray Rivera was a freelance videographer with the company. And prior to this incident, he had been working on a newsletter called The Rebound Report. This included stock tips. Before coming to work for Porter, Porter put out a letter under a firm called Pirate Investors. This was a tip to investors advising them to invest in a Russian company that was soon to come up on uranium. So that's a huge deal. Unfortunately, this did not pan out the way Porter intended it to, it seems, because investors, it didn't work. They were they were pissed off. They gave all this money to this Russian company because Stansberry Associates said to, and they lost their money. Those people ended up complaining and suing the company for $1.5 million. It was their argument, which was the First Amendment right, we have the right to give you suggestions, yada yada. But then the investors came back and said, well, it was fraudulent because you knew it was a false tip. You knew it wasn't going to work. So they won. Part of Ray's job was to clean up Porter's reputation and write newsletters. So you're already getting kind of the vibe that this company isn't the cleanest. Two weeks before Ray's death, Allison noticed that Ray was really worried. And on the Monday before Ray's disappearance, at 1 a.m., the home alarm went off. They don't specify what exactly sets it off, if it's motion, if it's somebody wiggling a door, if it's somebody entering the home. All they say is that it went off. Ray came out of the room with a bat, and Allison said he looked so afraid, and she has never seen him look that scared. The police came that night, and they wrote it off. They said it was probably just a squirrel, and they left. <sighs> Again with the police, thinking that nothing's a big deal. <laughs> I cannot. And the next day, at 1 a.m. on Tuesday, it went off again. Allison said that the window by the front door, you could tell it had been tampered with. They don't zoom in. They don't show you why she thinks that. She just says that. Then the next evening, that's when Ray does not come home. Allison's thinking that he probably knew something he shouldn't have known. And I, I have to agree with her. Only one detective believed that it was homicide. And that detective was transferred off of the case just weeks later. When Allison would call the station, they would tell her, you need to get it through your head, your husband committed suicide, and that's it. Which is, like, so rude. And like I mentioned, the medical examiner said it was undetermined, so they can't just say it's suicide. That's not what being a detective is about. You guys, that's it. That's, that's the end of the story. We don't 
know anything else and I, I think that a lot of the unsolved mysteries listen money money makes people disgusting I think money is one of the largest reasons people get killed and it's also probably one of the largest reasons things don't get solved because if there's a bad cop and he's looking into this case super hardcore and somebody says here here's like five thousand dollars or here's a hundred grand stop looking then it's gone or a bad medical examiner here's a hundred grand stop looking or say it was suicide end of story money you guys that's the bad part is if 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 a loved one is killed by somebody with power the chances of that person getting caught and then the chances of that person getting convicted it sucks it happens but that's what i think happened to ray rivera and it's unfortunate let me know what you guys think other than that i hope you guys enjoyed today's story make sure you give us five stars wherever you're listening and if you have not already check out the patreon on the five dollar level you get two bonus episodes ad free seven dollar level you get that plus these episodes without ads at the twelve dollar level you get all of that plus you get to not only listen to me tell the stories you get to watch me tell the stories and yeah that's pretty much it thank you guys for consuming crime with me today and uh, you'll hear me next week